So hello everyone, welcome back for another episode of the Adenum Podcast. I am here with my co-host Henry, everybody knows him, and today we are interviewing a few very special guests from the youth-led organization known as Lives for Literacy. Um, so with us we have the founder and the head, Ms. Yasmin, and um, her colleague and another executive member of Lives for Literacy, Mr. Michael. Um, so I guess we're going to start with some introductory questions. Um, gonna hand it back to Henry actually to uh, start with some introduction about Miss Yasmin. Yeah, uh, actually, Ms. Yasmin, um, what is your background? Thank you very much, Camilla and Henry, for having Michael and I on this platform. So, to answer your question, I'm a proud Canadian from Montreal, Quebec. However, I was born in South Africa and I'm currently studying political science and human rights at Concordia University. And in the future, I hope to attain a master's degree in human rights, and then in the future, specialize in the field of human rights research with a focus on children's rights. Yeah, and how does your interest in human rights and political science uh, influence your decision to found uh, L4L, so uh, Lives for Literacy? So, uh, so basically, L4L was founded in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic when I saw that there were many inequalities around the world and how people cannot read write or understand specifically about the COVID-19 public health information and more importantly how how children's education was disrupted and also what was investigated inspired me passion to do something so that began when I was appointed as a World Literacy Foundation ambassador representing Canada and I felt it was my, my duty to do something. And so how did your earlier life experience influence your decision in funding the uh, L4L. So from a young age, I've always wanted to help and serve others. My family have always been, have always instilled me the passion to volunteer and serve other communities with different projects and activities. For example, in high school, I was a captain of Team Karajianis, who Captain Karajianis was a member of the 3rd Battalion, Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Then from that start, it was part of a leadership club at school that instilled with me leadership qualities, which, which helped me with taking other roles on from high school right till now. Okay, and the final question regard, re- regarding the founding of uh, L4L. So uh, we know that uh, starting any organization, whether it's a company or uh, especially a not-for-profit, it's very difficult to find the the funding or the monetary resources for it. So how did you uh, find the funding to start the organization? Well, so initially we didn't have any funding. Rather, we had our passion. Every member we had our passion. And that's how we started it off. But as time progressed, we have opened up and are open to receiving donations as well as any ways that individuals that are hearing this podcast are can help us with more than happy. Yeah, and uh, one final question for you. So you were actually very young when you started the not-for-profit. So when you started it, were there any fear, for instance, like when we tried to start something new, there was always this insecurity in us. So did you feel any of that and how did you overcome it? I was, so as you said, I was definitely young. So I had I had a fear that um, I wouldn't be able to do it. But thankfully to my support circle, such as my friends, my family, they gave me the encouragement to go on 
and do it. And they've always been there by my side. And leading a nonprofit, as I've said, as is not easy. It's still a learning skill. And I'm always happy to learn more. And I'm proud of life's food to see where it is and how much is achieved. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for those answers. And I'm going to hand it to Camilla to ask a question for Mr. Michael. Thank you, Henry. All right. Um, I guess first of all, we're gonna start with the exact same start as uh, with Miss Yasmin. So, uh, Mr. Michael, we would love to know a bit more about your background. Um, so, if you don't mind, please let us in on that. Yes, uh, for sure. So, my name is Michael. I'm a proud Canadian Quebecer here from Montreal, like Yasmin. I graduated from Concordia University with a major in political science and a minor in law and society. Um, in the meantime, of course, as mentioned, I am executive advisor here at Lives for Literacy. And honestly, that's mainly most for my background story. Um, I do a lot of things at Lives for Literacy as all involving policy documents and drafting. And that's pretty much it from my end. I'm 25 years old, so I'm not as young per se. But besides that, it's pretty much mainly my background story to a certain extent, obtaining my education, working within the organization. On that note, actually, um, how did you and Ms. Yasmin meet and how did you became an executive member of Lives for Literacy? Um, I joined, I believe, around the January time and I knew um, I met Yasmin through um, her sister because her sister and I went, uh, went to Concordia during the time and attained a political science course together. So we talked and, and got to know each other. Then around the time of January, she introduced me to her sister, Yasmin, and that's when I started to get more familiar with Lives for Literacy, and that's when I joined on board. I started off as a volunteer, and I was interviewed by quite a few people, and I was obviously helping where needed, and then time grew where I kept giving many opinions and kept foreseeing many things the organization needed to be fixed, and that's where I got brought on board to become an executive advisor. And since then, we've worked on so many projects, and we have more coming, so it was definitely a very interesting story on how I met Yasmin, but it, how we met and how we're moving forward from now has truly been really inspirational and definitely a lot of work, but it's been a great experience and we definitely have more coming in the future. Definitely very inspirational indeed. Um, and now I actually have a question for both of our guests here, which is, um, is Life's for Literacy your full-time job or do you have something else that you do per se during the day and is a Lancaster Literacy executive member by night? I don't mind going first. So I would say that yes, Lancaster Literacy, being the president and founder, it is my full-time job. I enjoy it as it gives me a lot of, a lot of hope, a lot of love that I enjoy doing this. And I'm looking forward to seeing where I lead it with, along with my executive team. And yeah. And uh, Mr. Michael? Yes. Um, I don't necessarily consider this a full-time job. This might sound corny. I consider this an opportunity to expand and to definitely help and uh, further enhance human rights towards the world. I do um, have a full-time job on the side, but I definitely, as an executive advisor, can definitely say I do do quite a bit for the organization. So there's we have a lot of activities that are constantly going on. So definitely there could be times where we it might be a bit quiet, but then there could be times where we have just so much going. So ideally, I am generally always here and available. 
when needed and when we're all needed actually to implement any tasks and further procedures moving forward. Those are awesome answers. Thank you so much for um, both of you. Um, Henry, you also happen to have a question for both of our guests here, is that correct? Yeah, uh, so on the uh, L4L website, we see that you focus uh, literary education on the members of BIPOC, uh, LGBTQIA+, and low-income member, and we wonder what's the reason behind that focus? So I would say that the reason as to why we focus on they on the BIPOC, LGBTQIA, and low-income members is because they do not have the same privileges as as others do. As well, and that's why it's important that if not us, then who else would advocate and empower them? Michael, do you have anything to add? Um, yes, definitely. Um, with regards to this, that at least being from my perspective, being um, graduate from Cornell University, I, I would also notice that, of course, moving forward, the husband's point that they are definitely less privileged and, of course, the aid them is important. However, I notice at least from an educational aspect that these types of minority groups are not highly mentioned within the educational system. So definitely like us bringing this forward, not only just to from the organization perspective, but for a whole human rights world perspective is definitely really important to focus on minorities like this because they definitely don't have the same human rights as majorities would have and we would like to bring that forward. Great, and then coming, so since we touched a bit upon uh, L4L's mission, so uh, you talk about your focus on those two communities and what is your mission in general? Well, Vice Lucy's mission is to, to begin with, Vice Lucy is an international youth-led Nonprofit organization based in Montreal, Quebec. So we strive to eradicate illiteracy and raise awareness about the beauty of education, human rights, and mental health, among many others. So our mission, going back to your question, is that to eradicate illiteracy and make sure that it is a it is a right to others around the world, and that no child is left without that right. And what is literacy to both of you? Michael, would you, would you like to start? Um, with regards to literacy, I believe the first thing I believe we could all think about with regards to literacy is reading and writing. But that to me just barely scratches the surface. I find literacy like based off our ethos within our organization comes from diversity, comes from humanity. It comes from the rise of education. And I believe like Yasmin said, one of our main missions and goals is to have no child left behind. So we know in many, many countries in the world that access to literacy and access to education sometimes can be very limited to almost impossible. So by us doing something like this and definitely raising human right awareness and definitely teaching literacy to people that might have difficulties in obtaining it is definitely at least the least we can do to help further enhance human rights and therefore enhance the world. For me, uh, I would say literacy is a very broad definition. I don't think we have enough time to go into the depth of the meaning. Well, to put it in simple words, I would say that literacy goes beyond the ability to read and write. It's the pathway to freedom, to coming out of the vicious cycle of poverty. It is possible to make, it's a way to make change possible. And as a human, and as a human right to each and every individual that a person is entitled to. Okay, then since we talk about the mission, we talk about what is literacy, I'm actually going to hand it to Camilla to talk about um, the values of your organization. 
Thank you, Henry. Um, so let's start by, um, well, let's start with the question of what are the core values of philosopher literacy um, in your own words? The core values of life literacy are humanitarian values, respect, dignity, inclusiveness, accountability, effectiveness, transparency, ability, and safety to all, as well as adaptability. And Mr. Michael, do you have anything to add? Um, I believe she touched on all of the themes and elements, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you. Um, so we also did a bit of research on this from your website and social media accounts. And uh, we noticed that you choose the ethos of Lysor Literacy to be literacy, humanity, and diversity. And we would like to know a bit more of, per se, why you chose for these three elements to be the core ethos of the organization. With regards to the three ethos, I believe they all essentially tie hand in hand, and I find that you can't have one without the other. So that's what we noticed from the organization that when I think of humanity, you know, I do think of literacy and I think of diversity. And I could say that for each one going with each core of the three ethos that we have. I believe that we need literacy, which then transcends into diversity, which could transcend into humanity. But these all tie hand in hand together, which definitely constitutes and help fixing human rights. So I find they all are core values that we have in our organization and they're definitely really important and they all tie hand in hand based off the work we've done and based off the work we continue to do. To add on to uh, what Michael has said is that the reason as to why we chose literacy, humanity and diversity is starting with literacy because that's our field of work. It is strongly strongly strive for that as a as me being a political scientist and human rights student humanity because we we want to serve everyone around the world despite their orientation gender socioeconomic status and humanity because diversity because it is our strength and from what from what i would i feel is that when you know how to read and write you can serve humanity and create life's greatest diversity Thank you for um, those very inspirational and in-depth answers, I would say. Um, and I was also wondering, um, in your opinion, how does these three ethos intersect? Because as you have said, they are dependent on one another. But if we could also elaborate on the intersection of these three elements, I think that would be very interesting. I don't mind being first. So, uh, so going back to the, our three ethos, uh, when you when you have that ability to know how to read and write, it helps you so it helps of humanity with this in your locally, internationally, within your community. And once you have that, you are able to appreciate life's greatest diversity. And you, from that, you learn about other individuals, their cultures, their the broad community, also as well as the world. I see. Thank you for your answer. Um, actually, this is a question from Henry. Um, so I am currently a volunteer at Lice for Literacy. So I do have some insider knowledge, but uh, as somebody looking from the outside, Henry has some questions about your operation and where you guys operate. So take it over, Henry. Uh, we heard that you're an international not-for-profit organization. So uh, in which countries uh, does uh, L4L currently operate in? So, thank you, Henry. So, Lysolutrici's headquarters are in Montreal, Quebec, but we do operate globally. 
and uh, such as in well in all the continents. Yeah. So, but our headquarters are in Montreal. Okay then. Um, so, how did the team expanded from uh, a Canada-based, especially Montreal-based, uh, youth-led organization uh, onto the international scale? So, last year when we had opened applications, in one day we had achieved over seventy-five plus volunteers that wanted to sign up from countries such as Nepal, um, El Salvador, France, Australia, India, uh, Indonesia. Pakistan, and also the U.S. Uh, we've also had such as South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, Egypt, Yemen, Syria, as well as Kashmir, Pakistan, Palestine, Afghanistan. As well as Albania too, I believe. Yes, Albania as well. Yeah, actually very impressive of you to remember all those countries just based on 75 applications. <laughs> uh, and so how did you so let's say that's how you reach an international base but um, to reach that international base there must be some kind of um, tendency of going international or doing some uh, for information to reach that level so what did you prepare to make um, this impact possible so we had we, we we created a form so and we put and we submitted it we contacted organizations, associations. We placed it on, um, we sent out emails. We placed it everywhere that we could think of. And from there, they sent it out to individuals that they knew. And from over that, we have all of our volunteers. What outreach? Got it. Um, then how many volunteers does the organization currently have uh, in total? Today we have 500 plus volunteers, and based on the previous question, I've also I also connected through two other World Literacy Foundation ambassadors, and they had also volunteered and helped with the outreach and expanded the word of life literacy. And speaking of works for life for literacy, and uh, I guess this question more for Mr. Michaels as. Uh, he has directed a lot of projects. So what are some topics that uh, L4L has featured um, in their projects? Um, well, one big project we definitely worked on was the Palestine project. Um, I know Yasmin will have much more details about the Palestine project. We've definitely done a lot of topics with regards to different themes that have occurred throughout the months. We've had um, we've had some poetry um battles i believe all, yeah we've had quite a bit of events and topics they're unfortunately not fully coming to mind right now as we've had so many but we definitely have a lot of topics and events that we definitely try to cover that are human right based so we've had i believe um when we had the um when we had pride month we had a lot of um pride month events that were occurring during the time so those are definitely really informative and they were definitely really educational to people that don't know much about the lgbtq um minorities per se but definitely our topics are quite worldwide and they're definitely aimed towards addressing minorities but we still have more to come that will be in the future and Ms. yasmin do you have anything to add on that yes uh to add on besides what michael had mentioned that we currently have an interview series project where we will be interviewing um individuals from three cohorts such as migrants refugees immigrants then LGBTQIA and social activists. 
that is a current project that is going on. We also have a a health literacy project. And then going back to uh, Michael mentioning the Palestine project, is that was initially a project started with the Human Rights Working Group here at Life's Literacy. So they, what we do is we focus on um, current human rights topics and issues that are relevant, such as Palestine, which was initially started off due to the fact of the events that were happening in Palestine. That was a nine-day campaign, and it was a very success, so we had volunteers again join that project. Our next one for for the Human Rights Working Group is we'll, we'll be focusing on Kashmir. Then we'll be focusing on other specific countries. And we do have a lot more exciting projects that are coming up. And yeah. Yeah, and then uh, to both of you, what is uh, what is your favorite project? <laughs> um, this might sound like a very um, corny answer to a certain extent, but it's really hard to choose a favorite project because all of them were really unique in their own way. I remember we had, like, as I mentioned before, a poetry versus um, event and that was just very creative and original we had the palestine project which was definitely very important for the world to recognize we've had our pride month um uh, events where we had a prince that spoke on his journey and everything such as related to that so i find every project that we have done could almost essentially be a favorite because they're all unique and original in their own way and miss jasmine same answer or no, for me, uh, same answer, but differently in, in certain ways. For me, my favorite project that Alpha L has worked on so far was back in December 2020, where the human rights working group, we taught human, basically what human rights are, how you know, like, what, you, what are your rights to grade four students in Nepal. And the amount of students we taught to were about 300 grade four students. So seeing them online on Zoom, answering questions. That was that was touching for me. It was something that I'll never forget. And we actually also take in consideration the time zones. So while it was around say twelve o'clock martial time and in Nepal it was around eight AM. So that was just something that I'll never forget this entire experience having taught to children in Nepal. They were they were very smart. They knew the answers. They were intrigued and it was something that I'll be very thankful for. Yeah, and so since you've both done a lot of projects, so what is the some of the things or the most important things you learned from doing all those projects? Something that we that we learn is that this learning process is ongoing, um, as well as there's room to learn more. As something that something that to learn is that. There's no harm in making others happy. You, they are, they want to learn from you. You can always be there for them. And just be kind, spread happiness, spread your knowledge, and it will come back to you in ways that you know. And Mr. Michael? Yeah, I could definitely agree with Yasmin there. Um, at least one thing I definitely experienced, and I think we've all experienced that, in order to create a project, it definitely takes a lot of time and it definitely takes a lot of work. And there's so much that goes into the creation of these projects when it comes to designing the posters, when it comes to 
obtaining content and all the volunteers that have done all this work and all the work that we've done to make these projects happen have just been so amazing. But we've definitely realized that there's a lot of work that goes into these projects. But at the end of the day, I find the work that you put in, it shows at the end the results and hard work does pay off, I believe. And that was the result of the success, the successful projects that we've had. Yeah, and I'll hand it to Camilla to talk a bit more about one of us very specific project. All right. Thank you, Henry. So um, in both of your answers, you both trust the Palestine um, project a lot. So we can definitely like see the significance of that project there. So would you mind explaining to us what the project is specifically and um, what did you guys do during the execution of this project? So the Palestine project, again, was um, carried out by the Human Rights Working Group at Life Society. So one day I, um, we got together with a volunteer and we decided to do a nine day campaign series raising awareness of what was happening in Palestine. For example, we did um, what is currently going on, some symbol of Palestine, how you can help, boycotting, so on and so. With that, then each volunteer was assigned to specific tasks such as drawing, such as creating um, infographics, then writing blogs, that together we rose awareness and that is going to be again carried out to other countries that we'll be focusing on as well as so from what i learned about this product is that the volunteers enjoyed this they won and they found out more about what was happening in that country versus what they had known because once they, they didn't know exactly the abuses that were happening around the human rights abuses that was going on in that country and yeah, so basically, they learned a lot, and they appreciated all that they had done. And that's it from my side. Thank you. And Mr. Nudo? Yes. Um, as Yasmin mentioned, um, I find at the end of the day, like, many people might have known what was going on with Palestine at the time. Being with me, like, seeing it around in the digital news um market on what was going on with Palestine. I, I had a general idea of what was occurring, but definitely to all of us to dive deeper into it and to further see what was going on with regards to issues with human rights within the country. We definitely all learned much more what was going on. We even had um, uh, a TikTok on Educate and Advocate series where we mentioned Palestine within our TikTok channel that what was specifically going on. I find at the end, it was very important because we all got to learn more about Palestine and we all got to uh, ironically educate many people that might not have known much about Palestine and show our stance on Palestine and what it meant to us and how to help better the human rights within the country by at least spreading awareness about it. Thank you for both of your very insightful answers. Um, I guess Ms. Yasin sort of touched on this, but um, why specifically did you launch the project? If you could elaborate on that a little bit. So the Palestine project was launched in May, June of this year, and it was carried out by, again, LPL volunteers that specifically wanted to help out in, with the Palestine project. And it has been going on so as, as so much that they wanted to continue it, but raise awareness for other countries. So our next focus will be on Kashmir. So viewers that are listening to this and listeners that are hearing this, so stay tuned to the Kashmir project. That's awesome. And I think um, the Palestine project is definitely an indicator showing how successful 
um, life for literacy as an organization has been. Um, so that ties into our next question, actually, which is, as of right now, um, our organization, Lives for Literacy, right here, is very, very um, impactful and successful. But was it always easy? Or what were some challenges that the team has faced while trying to grow the organization? Well, the some of the challenges that we've, have, we've faced is the lack of funding, but we... To those that would want to donate to us, we again we're more than happy to and we're thankful for. And the challenges were that, that none of us knew how to run a nonprofit. But as going on, as leading this part, we came to know and we learned from one another on how to run it. And that's it that I can think of right now. If you don't mind, I would just like to ask you to elaborate a little bit on. Um, the challenges with funding. So, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners are um, students interested in entrepreneurship and starting your own um, organization, campaign, or whatever it is that you want to start. But funding always seems to be an issue for a lot of young people who has all these dreams that they want to achieve um, with their ideas. So how did you guys um, resolve this issue with fundings? So we've constantly been applying for grants and any opportunities that we can see to help us go on has been our target as well as initiatives that we have, that we currently are doing, which I'll speak later about. So grants again has been our main focus and we receive donations and that's how we are going by. Michael, do you have anything to add? I believe Yasmin touched about pretty much all the aspects from funding from what I've seen from my perspective. So at the moment, I can't really think of much. Our goal is just, of course, to, of course, raise our fundings to come in the future. So being by donations and being by grants, that's what we will continue to definitely enhance forward in the future, for sure. I see. Thank you so much for your answers. Um, I know Ms. Yasmin expressed um, the concerns she has about the challenges that the organization has faced. Um, but for, from your perspective, Mr. Michael, do you have any um, other challenges that you may have experienced um, while you were a part of um, the organization? Um, it wasn't, maybe when first arriving, it wasn't really necessarily challenges, but we've definitely noticed sometimes we've had, sometimes in the past, issues with previous volunteers that were essentially advocating for their own self gain sometimes being from chat so we notice sometimes that we have a very specific code of conduct when it comes to life for literacy so of course our chats are very open for all our volunteers to express as they please with regards to our organization however sometimes we've had problems with volunteers that will be promoting something completely unrelated to life for literacy so sometimes we had to take um, executive measures with certain volunteers and sometimes just the aspect of communication with certain people were sometimes an issue here and there. But compared to when we've started and compared to how we've grown from now, it's definitely been much more um, enhanced. And it's definitely been much more corrected and it's been much more professional moving from here on out. I'm glad to hear that. And um, circling back to a point we touched upon a little bit earlier. Um, the fact that Lives for Literacy is operating globally with volunteers from so many different countries and regions. Um, did you face difficulties operating in these different countries as law differs from place to place? Um, were you guys flagged with anything or had to perhaps 
alter your code of conduct to um, better respect a um, some regulations from different regions? Um, the only uh, thing that the only challenge that we had was the difficulties. Rather, was the time difference. For example, sometimes we have we are in the morning versus back another person another person in volunteers currently it's in the evening. And another challenge is that uh, plagiarism is not as strict as it is here in Canada versus in other countries. So having to explain to volunteers how to what plagiarism is, how to cite your your sources was an experience. So we've had we've had incidents where volunteers have written blogs for that book that have been plagiarized. So we explain to them how it is and why it is not right. And then from there they learned something new that that for example, say at school it's not learned about. I see that's that's actually very, very interesting. I don't think many people has touched on that aspect. Um working with a um an international um staff of employees. I'm going to hand it back to Henry now because I've been talking for a bit too much. So Henry, take it away with um, your next question. Yeah. Uh, so L4L has had a very successful project. And uh, also you talked uh, touched just a bit upon this just before. Uh, you had um, a very uh, high-profile guest such as Crown Prince uh, Raj, Raj Pipla. Um Sorry, I can't pronounce his name. Uh, so how did a youth-led organization manage to get in contact with such individuals? And what is your tip for uh, contacting and networking with others? So um, to go on, to, to reply to you, that the reason why we were able to host the Crown Prince of Raj Pipla was because thanks to the our director of LGBTQIA affairs, she and other collaborations that, that another organization's collaboration that we did with was the AMSA. India together with them, they had contacted the Crown Prince of Russia, was his organization, and invited them to speak on our platform. And any tips that I can give the viewers and youngsters about networking is that, for example, if you're on campus or wherever you are volunteering, get in touch and put yourself out there, speak to individuals, and get involved wherever you can. And uh, Mr. Michael? Yeah, definitely that event was quite educational and quite inspirational. Um, with regards to tips, um, from my own personal perspective, it's a bit more difficult because I am essentially a rare person that does not have social media. But as Yasmin mentioned, of course, getting involved in your organizations on campus and spreading the word and getting involved in as many activities as you can and then getting well, word of mouth to um, other people within the organization and going forward from there is probably my best tips of networking to further enhance. Exactly. And to add on to what Michael said, getting involved is the best thing that you can do for yourself. Because once someone knows you, they can refer you to another and that refer you to another and that will just help you grow your networks. Got it. Thank you for that uh, tips. And uh, coming back to uh, L4L, it was founded in 2020, uh, right when pandemic was uh, at its height. So how did the COVID-19 affect the funding of the organization? And uh, has it given the team any challenges or did it help the growth of L4L in unexpected ways? I would say that L4L has given gave lives to see a lot. It became a platform for youth all around the world to join. It became a family for them. Something that they were very, very thankful for 
for example, so you volunteers from Yemen, Kashmir, Palestine have expressed how it's become a home. They've cried with tears of, of how thankful they are for the skills that they've learned and acquired for life's literacy. And it's just been a place where they feel welcomed, loved, and I've had volunteers again tell me that our organization, Life's Literacy, is very different from others that they've joined because other organizations, they just want them to do the work and get it over and done with. While Life's Literacy, the members, the volunteers, the execs, they're more welcoming. They are, they, they treat you as a friend and are there for you. They help you. They want to, they just don't want you to get the own work done. It's always that we learn from one another rather than just one person benefiting. And uh, Mr. Michael, when you joined, did you um, like had any like un unforeseen challenges when you joined as an executive advisor? Um, further elaborating, actually, on Yasmin's point that as an organization, we are definitely much more welcoming and considered based off situations, especially when the COVID nineteen pandemic hit. An example being our health literacy team, we have definitely many people from India who are medical students. So during the time, sometimes when tasks were supposed to be done, quite a few of them had to go serve in their country in India, being as India still currently has a lot of problems with COVID-19. So when I was told this news, we definitely understood and we accepted that, of course, that serving and helping humanity, especially in a in one of the biggest countries in the world at that time was extremely understanding. And as Yasmin mentioned, other organizations might just want you to, to do the work and that's all they want. But as we mentioned, we're essentially all like a family. So what they go through, we go through. So they needed help and we understood and we definitely compromised and helped them. Got it. And now I'll hand it back to Camilla. Yes, definitely. Thank you for your answers just now. I think we were both um, really, really um, interesting answers. Founding a um, whole organization during a pandemic is definitely a very unique experience. And on top of that, you guys managed to grow the organization to such a successful size, I think is just so, so cool. Um, to get back on track with the, um, the questions, um, I guess I'll just start with asking, what are your goals and plans for Lyser Literacy going forward? Well, going forward, other than our interview series and the continuation of other areas of the, our working group of human rights, we do have a national project coming up this summer where we'll be touching the lives of 500 marginalized children by providing them with essential school supplies such as backpacks filled with stationeries, pencils, color pencils, duotangs, loose leaf, erasers, anything that can make going to school a joy. And uh, Mr. Rico? Yes, of course, we have the, um, the national project we have going on to help um, refugees and um, indigenous peoples here but we also have more events that are coming in the future i don't want to give way too much away but we definitely have um, a collaboration going soon with regards to climate change which we will talk about in the near future but that's all we'll pretty much say right now so there's definitely always events coming in the future and always 
posts and blogs, we always have so much going on within the organization that Yasmin and I keeping up definitely sometimes is a lot, but it's definitely really important. And it's definitely something that we keep doing every day. And it's really important to us. And it's really important for humanity as well. So there's always something to do. Thank you both for your answers. Um, on that note, I would also like to ask if um, Vice for Literacy is currently recruiting for volunteers. And if so, how many the volunteers or like potential volunteers apply for positions? Yes. So applications are on a, are on a rolling basis. You can visit our Instagram Vice for Literacy. On Instagram, you can, and we have our link tree where our volunteer phone is there. So once you fill out that, you will be contacted shortly for an interview. And once the interview goes, you'll, and how it goes, we'll send you your, your letter, whether you're accepted or not. And we are also recruiting for other exec positions, such as VP, VP Finance, Vice President of Education and advocacy so stay tuned follow our social media facebook linkedin instagram twitter that's how you can keep in touch and know more about us and so if you want to hear anything else that's the, our platform to go to and going back to the national project it is it's going to be a national one not only happening in in quebec but as well as in ontario and bc so stay tuned to see and know more about that. And yeah, and we look forward to more volunteers and we're happy for you to join us. That sounds super exciting. Um, thank you again for your answer. And um, unless you have any other questions, Henry, I think that's a wrap. I would like to add that um, Camilla has been a wonderful intern, very sweet, very smart. She's always willing to learn. She's been there for us. And recently, she has had the wonderful privilege of having her join as a as a social media designer for our How Literacy Working Group. And thank you, Camilla, for all that you've done. And we love you. And we and we happy to have you on Life Literacy. <laughs> thank you so much. You flatter me. Um, I'm very honored to be um, offered this opportunity to work with you guys. I've honestly learned so much, not just from. Um, my position from interacting with people like yourself and Mr. Michael here, learning um, skills like life skills of how to expand my network, how to go forward in the industries that I love. And um, I cannot thank you enough for all the opportunities that I've been offered. Um, yeah. Henry, anything to add? No, uh, I want to thank you both very much for coming on and we don't have any other questions. So yeah, it's a wrap. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Kamala. Thank you, Henry. Thank you to the whole Marinopoulos podcast for having Michael and I talk about life's literacy. We truly appreciate it, and we hope to keep in touch with you, both lovely gems in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you to you both. Thank you everyone for tuning to listen. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did during the interview. If you liked this episode, learned something, or just want to help out a bunch of students, please leave a review, write a comment, and share this on social media. If you are listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe and write to us in the comments. 
All the books and other resources recommended by the interviewee are in the podcast description slash video description depending on your platform. And depending on when you see this, you might be able to use our affiliate link to purchase them. The Marianopolis Addendum podcast is actively seeking local sponsors here in Montreal. So if you are interested, please contact us at the email linked in the description. All the profit generated by this podcast will go back to fund our club's activity. If we have any surplus, they will be donated at the end of every month to a local charity. This episode was edited by Lucy Ann. And the artwork is done by Camilla Huang. The producers and guests associated with this episode may express their opinion, but this podcast does not support any political parties. We only aim to bring different perspectives on different issues through the free exchange of opinions and ideas. We look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Cheers!